And I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1 as we continue our uh, series that we started just last week in the book of Romans. Uh, I hope you have your Bibles with you. If you don't, there are some underneath the chairs in front of you. Uh, And you have notes in the worship folder that I invite you to take those out as well. A man named Alan Emery uh, joined the Coast Guard in 1943, and uh, he was immediately put to work in his hometown of Boston guarding the wharfs. On one particular Friday, uh, a fellow Coast Guard member and a a new friend named Joe uh, came in to see Emery in his dress blues. And Emery said he looked great and uh, asked him what the occasion was. And he said that he had met a wealthy young woman from the Beacon Hill area of Boston who had invited him to go to the opera and then come back to her home and, and, uh, and party. And he was looking forward to it. He said he didn't have to be back until 7 a.m. Monday morning, so he said he was planning on partying all weekend, and he thought it was going to be the greatest time of his life. And as he left, Emery said, I'll be praying for you. And his friend walked out and then immediately came back and said, what'd you say? And he said, I said, I would be praying for you. And he said, why would you be praying for me? Uh, He said, because Joe, on Monday morning, you'll be back here and you'll be a different person than you are right now because sin leaves its mark. And Joe said some choice words to uh, Emery, and he left. And when Joe saw Emery on Monday morning, um, Joe said, uh, how was your time? And uh, or Emery asked how Joe how his time was, and Joe said, how can you have a good time when you know someone's praying for you? <laughs> he said, you ruined my weekend. And he said, all weekend long, I've been thinking, how can I find God? Alan said, that's a great question. And he shared the gospel with Joe, and Joe trusted Christ. And they got plugged into a great church, a church in Boston called Park Street Church. And um, uh, sat under the teaching of Dr. Harold Ockingay, who's a godly man that was one of, uh, actually the head of, president of my seminary when I started at that seminary. And um, loved, Joe loved inviting other people to different events at Park Street Church to share the gospel with them and to uh, share Christ with his friends. It was on February 1st, 1943 that Joe went to sea on a minesweeper. And that minesweeper uh, found a tornado, or uh, found a torpedo that uh, was shot by a German, um, a German boat, and that boat sank, and Joe and all of the uh, Coast Guard members on board died. I hear accounts like that, and they motivate me uh, to make sure that I'm focused on what is really important in life. And they're a way of kind of clearing the fog away and making sure that what we invest our lives in are, are what is, what's truly important. Uh, 
And things can become clear uh, in light of something like that. You know, there's an old Peanuts cartoon of, of Lucy throwing Snoopy a stick to retrieve. And Snoopy's first instinct is to go after the stick. And then he decides against it and he says this, I want people to have more to say about me when I'm gone than he was a nice guy who chased sticks. And to keep focus on what's most important. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul does here in this passage. He lets us into his heart and what he's really focused on. Uh, on your outline, it says this at the top, that this is a biographical section of Romans. Paul uses words like me, my, and I some 19 times in these 10 verses. Uh, it's also a relational passage, and we know that because he uses you or other terms to refer to the church at Rome uh, 15 times. So there's a lot of ways that this passage that we're looking at today uh, is about the relationship between Paul and these Roman Christians. So let's read our passage, uh, Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit, in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness, how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles." I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is God's word for us this morning. Well, as we comb through these verses, we're going to find some revealing things about the Apostle Paul, and especially the kind of heart that the Apostle Paul had for ministry. Um, you know, we can understand, I can understand Paul having a heart for the churches that uh, he started, but why would he be so concerned about believers in Rome, uh, which was a church that he didn't start? We don't know for sure who started it, but it wasn't Paul. Um, Paul obviously wants to communicate to them and is deeply concerned uh, that he is deeply concerned for their welfare. And, and we can see a lot in these verses. So the first thing that we see about Paul's heart, number one on, on your outline, is that Paul was thankful for their strong faith. 
first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Um, all over the world means throughout the Roman Empire. That was the world they knew. Uh, and they knew the, around the empire about the faith of the Christians in Rome. You know, travel was common. Uh, they traveled on the Appian Way. Uh, that was a, a long road that was built. And, and uh, there's an expression that all roads lead to Rome. Uh, the Appian Way was one of them. And when we were there uh, with a group from the church, we walked on the Appian Way. Um, I imagine Paul went to all these churches and would encourage them by pointing to the testimony of the Roman believers. Um, they were located at the heart of it, right, in Rome. You know, some of you may not know this, but, but people around the world really look at this body here at Claremont Emanuel and the reputation we have for sending and supporting missionaries. Um, I know Nathan has had a lot of conversations. I've had some myself with people who want to know how we do what we do and why, how that became such an, a good and, and healthy priority for us here at the church. Um, and, you know, we, we really do have uh, a multi-ethnic, multicultural body uh, that is going to be standing together at the throne of God, worshiping the Lamb. Uh, just look at the names of the churches that Pastor Zach referred to in the, in the prayer on the back and the bottom of the worship folder. We're going to be with all those people uh, from those different tribes around the throne of God, worshiping together. Uh, what a privilege that will be. So, you know, if we zoom out a little bit uh, from this verse, we should ask ourselves the question, how thankful are we? Um, Paul writes... In 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. People often ask me, I'll have discussions with them, how you can know the will of God. And there's a lot to be said there and a lot to talk about, but um, oftentimes in the first place that we should look, we see the word of God spelled out, the will of God spelled out exactly uh, in black and white in the word of God. And you see it here. This is one of those verses. And everything give thanks for this is God's will concerning you. Um, are you thankful? You know, it's, it's God's will for us to be thankful in all circumstances. It doesn't say for all circumstances. You might be in a circumstance that you think, you know, this is really a rotten circumstance. Well, you don't necessarily have to give thanks for the circumstance, but if you find yourself in that circumstance, you should give thanks. Uh, and there's a big difference between uh, feeling thankful and being thankful. It, 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 thankfulness is a good indication of where your heart is with God. And uh, it's, it's one thing to feel thankful, but it's another thing. You're not really thankful until you express that thanks to God and maybe to others. You might be surprised how easy it is for some people to look at the negative, uh, to gripe all the time, to pick, and only to see the bad things. That's a mark of immaturity. If a mark of maturity is living a life of gratefulness, a mark of immaturity is being negative all the time. A thankful person is grateful because they, they, they look at the things around, they find it, try to find things that they can point out to people to encourage them, people who are involved in ministry. Um, 
and, and things that they can thank God for. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can have, and if, it depends on what we focus on. Paul says, the apostle uh, in, in Philippians chapter four, he gives us a long list of things that we should be focusing on. Things that are pure and good and lovely and of good report and so on. And so Paul is thankful, and we should live thankful lives as well. And then the second thing uh, that Paul sees and, is, is, and we see in his life to see his heart is that he prayed for the people of, of Rome, for the believers there in Rome, verses 9 and 10. Um, Paul told them of his prayer support for them, and the Lord seemed to, to honor that. And I've said this before, but when we say to someone we're praying for them, I, I hope it's never just flippant. That it's never just, yeah, I'm praying for them, we go away and we don't pray for them. That happens to all of us, we all do that. But I think the challenge, and this is the, the next thing on, our, on your outline, is to make our prayers Romans 1, 9 and 10 type of prayers, kind of prayers. That God is my witness, how I make mention of you always in my prayers. And then verse 10 continues, and I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Uh, Paul wanted to see these people that, that he loved. Um, it says later in, in Romans that, uh, well, in, in this passage in verse 13 that God prevented him from coming, but maybe one of those reasons he gives back in chapter 15 when Paul says, and he writes this, is from the New Living Translation, my ambition has always been to preach the gospel where the name of Christ has never been heard rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. So maybe it was his missionary work that kept Paul away from the Romans for so long. Uh, Paul was about to leave Corinth, that's where he was writing this letter to the Romans from, uh, for Jerusalem to deliver a special offering that he had taken and received from the Gentile church to the poor Jewish saints living in Jerusalem. And he had hoped to travel then from Jerusalem to Rome and then we know on to Spain where he would be able to spread the gospel even further, think to use Rome as his home base. Um, Paul eventually got to Rome, but it was as a prisoner as well as a preacher. Um, in Jerusalem, he'd been arrested in the temple, falsely accused by Jewish authorities, and sent to Rome uh, as the emperor's prisoner to be tried before Caesar. So Paul prayed to be able to make it to Rome. Uh, and he did arrive there. He just had no idea that, that before getting there, he would be arrested and imprisoned and shipwrecked on the way there and bitten by a poisonous snake. Uh, God answered Paul's prayer, but he went through all that before it was answered. And it wasn't the way that Paul necessarily envisioned it being answered, but God answered his prayer. Uh, sometimes you may think that there are things that you want to see happen. You're praying for something and all these bad things happen along the way. That doesn't mean that God is not in what you are doing. Uh, he still wants you. He, he, if, if that's what he wants and that's his will for you, it's gonna happen. But don't be discouraged by hard times when they come. You know, maybe one of the verses that's most familiar to all of us that we've memorized, I'm guessing many of you have. If you haven't, you should. It's Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. And in one translation, it says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. 
then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. In other words, what the Bible says is on one extreme you have worry and anxiety, and on the other extreme you have the prayer, a prayer of faith, a prayer of thanksgiving. And the truth is that when you're praying, it's pretty hard to worry and be anxious about the things that you're praying for. So do you spend more time worrying or more time praying? The Bible says in in essence in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, pray, pray, and pray some more. So some people ask, is worry a sin? Well, the Bible never says explicitly worry is a sin. Uh, But because worry and and anxiety are failures to trust God for his goodness uh, or failure to believe what he's told us, I think it's fair to say that worry is a sin. Are you worried about your health, about finances, about your job, children, family, your future. Maybe that's a concern for you. If you worry or fear and don't pray, you're in essence saying to God, God, you can't be trusted. Here's what God says. You have it on your outline. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God promises that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. So can you, are you trusting God and his promises? Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China, founder of what today is known as Overseas Missionary Fellowship, gave this excellent advice. He said, Let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved one, our loved ones, our influence, our our all, right into God's hand. And then when we have given all over to him, there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about. The truth is that God is already carrying our burdens And so we don't have to worry. Paul didn't. He prayed. Paul had a heart that was characterized by prayer. It was Paul who wrote to the Thessalonians and in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 said, be unceasing in prayer. Pray without ceasing. Pray perseveringly. Prayer is an act. But, but more than an act, prayer is an attitude of the heart, a constant attitude it was for Paul. For, for the apostle, it, it's just a part of his ongoing, re- deep relationship with the Father. It was a natural part of it, as natural as taking your next step when you're walking or breathing when you breathe. Paul lived in persistent communion with the Lord. That's what we're called to. We're called to live in this consistent communion with the Lord. We see another part of prayer in verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, 
but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among other, uh, the other Gentiles. Sometimes we ask God for something and sometimes God says no. Like he did here to Paul. Paul had, uh, uh, God sovereignly said no. And if, if had God not said no, Paul maybe would never have sat down in Corinth to write this letter that we love so much, this letter to the Romans. Uh, maybe you've been asking God for something and maybe he's saying no to you right now in your life. But maybe God, has, we, we, we trust him that there are other ways he's going to respond and that he's, he's a good God, that he's gonna ultimately answer the way he wants to. So we submit our lives to God's will. That was what Jesus prayed in the garden. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. That should always be on our lips. And he wants us to faithfully focus on what is right in front of us to do instead of worrying about something that might not happen in the future. So Paul was thankful for their strong faith. Paul was committed to praying for them. What a great example for us that to, 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 to be thankful for each other, to thank God, to express that to others, to express it to God, uh, and, and to pray for each other, to pray for ourselves. And the third thing we have is that Paul loved them. Uh, look at verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I long to see you, Paul said. That's a pastor's heart. But some of the saints in Rome were very dear to Paul. We know that he didn't know everybody there, but we know he knew a bunch of people because he mentions them by name in chapter 16. He knew Priscilla and Aquila. They had risked their lives for Paul. And there were others who suffered with him and, and uh, labored with him. And he also loved the believers that he didn't know. That was part of Paul's giving and unselfish heart. Paul longs to be with him, and he says to give them a spiritual gift. So what is that spiritual gift that he longs to give them? Well, it's in contrast with a physical gift. If you keep reading, look at verse 12, how it continues, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So in other words, Paul is saying, I'm going to give you the encouragement you need and I know that God's going to give me the encouragement I need through you. And so we, a question we can ask ourselves is this. Do I come to church just to be a consumer? Or do I come with a heart to, to give and openness to want to talk with others and in, encourage them and give to them to, to, to be a spiritual gift to other people? Am I open to conversation? Is my heart open? Are my eyes open to see people that, that need to be encouraged, that we can talk to? What would happen, and I know this already does happen, and if you, if, if you do this, keep doing it. I, I know that some of you do this, but I, I, I would hope that all of us, but what would happen if all of us on the way to church prayed and we just said, Lord, will you speak to my heart this morning? Not someone else's heart, but will you speak to my heart and then also, Lord, would you give me one person that I could encourage this morning? One person who's maybe just discouraged that you would lead me to them so that I could be an encouragement to them in their lives. Um, if you make it all about you, you're gonna be disappointed every time. Paul was thankful for their strong faith. 
He prayed for them. He loved them. And then number four on your outline, he believed the whole gospel was for the whole world. Look at verse 14. I am obligated, in other words, I am in debt, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Now, you know, there's more than one kind of debt. Uh, One that we're most familiar with is if we borrow money from the bank, then we are in debt to the bank until we pay that money back. Um, Paul's debt was another kind of debt. Uh, We can still use money as as an example, but if somebody gives me money to deliver to somebody else, then in a sense, I'm in debt to both people. I'm in debt to the person that gave the money, and I'm in debt to the person who should receive the money until they receive it. Um, So Paul was saying, in effect, that he's the middleman. He's a debtor both to God and to the people who need to receive the gospel. He was saying, I've been given this good news by the Savior himself, and now I have a responsibility to pass that good news on to others. So it's important to point out here, I think, that that this debt was not a condition of Paul's salvation. Paul did not consider himself a debtor because he owed the Lord what the Lord had given him for free, uh, and that is salvation. Um, No, Paul's debt was a voluntary commission. Uh, It was was something that he took on as a commission, a calling uh, that, that happened that he took on voluntarily. So it was this deep sense of accountability that Paul had that I think we should all have because we're all debtors in that sense to God. We, we have a, if we love Jesus, we have a responsibility of passing it on to others, of sharing the good news with them. Um, and that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. Uh, it, it, he had a deep sense of accountability for the fate of his fellow human beings who lived with, in, in a spiritual darkness that he once lived in. When, remember when, when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, what he was on his way to do. He was on his way to kill Christians. That's what he wanted to do. So, you know, Paul's letter to the Romans is the best treatment in all the Bible of the whole gospel being for the whole world. It's for everyone. Um, in the ministry of Jesus... The gospel was taught to publicans and sinners, as well as to those who were privileged with great education and a high form of society, like Nicodemus in John chapter three. Uh, God reminded Peter in Acts chapter 10 that the gospel was for this Roman uh, officer, military officer, Cornelius, as well as for those who were Jews who were ceremonially clean. And it was at that time that that Peter said, I now realize in Acts 10, you've got the reference on your outline, uh, how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him. That's what God wants us to do. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus made that clear. Uh, We've got it in Acts 1.8, where uh, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, something you know we take seriously here. 
When he says to the Greeks and the non-Greeks in verse 14, uh, the apostle Paul is saying uh, that it's, it's, it's for every nationality. The gospel is for those who are Greek citizens and those who are non-Greeks. It's for everyone. And it's for the wise and the foolish. It's for every education level, level every culture. And yes, the gospel is for you however educationally and intellectually blessed you are. But God has given that to you for a reason so that you can use it to serve him and, and to leverage that wisdom he's given you for the kingdom. Paul does add in verse 16, the Jew and the Gentile and the everyone who believes. So the gospel is for everyone. No matter what the religious background is that you might be a part of, um, the gospel of salvation of Jesus is resisted most in the time of Jesus by the religious people. Uh, no one should feel secure in their religion even in Christianity, apart from Jesus. Religion doesn't save you. A relationship with God through Christ saves you. That's what Jesus said in John 14 so clearly. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And, and then this sounds very narrow. It is very narrow, but it's not us who say it. It's Jesus who says it. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the only way that we have a relationship with the Father is through Jesus. That's what the gospel is all about. That's the, and everybody needs it. Uh, and here's the thing that you may be relatively young and you think, you know, I have all my life in front of me to worry about growing in a relationship with God. But it's like the great preacher Charles Spurgeon said one time in a talk to children. He said, you may be young but you are old enough to sin and you are old enough to die and as long as that's true, you need a savior. We all need a savior, no matter how young. Maybe you're older and you think, you know what? I, even following the Lord, I know the Lord, but I don't, I, I'm not gonna worry about all these changes because my life's almost over. I'm gonna enjoy what I have. Maybe you don't know the Lord and you think, you know, it's too old to change. Well, it's never too old to change. You're never too old to grow closer to the Lord and to be better prepared to spend all of eternity with him. We all need the gospel. And God wants to draw you closer to him today than you've ever been before. And so are you responding to him? Are you living with him at the core of your life? That's what the apostle Paul did. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to live with him at the core of our being. If you're not a Christian and you hear this, then Jesus invites you to come to him. Come to me, Jesus said, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. In verse 15, Paul was eager to preach the gospel. He said, that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Paul was eager to minister. Do you have the same eagerness to minister? Because you are God's representative right where you are at in your work. Your work is holy to God. And God wants to use you at, at your place of work to be a light for him to be a minister for him. Are, are you eager to do that? Paul was. Pr 
Pray if you don't have that spirit of eagerness and ask God to give you a spirit of eagerness to to be a witness for him at your work. Uh, Pray for a fresh attitude to obey him, to tell others about him. Pray for open doors. Uh, Pray for boldness to step through those doors. And then finally in verses 16 and 17, we see the gospel. Uh, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So first of all, we should not be ashamed of the gospel. This is on your outline. For it is the power of God for salvation. Uh, If you have, you know, we've had people here who have done research on cancer, uh, cures for cancer. If somebody discovered a a cure for cancer that they could make completely free and that could heal every cancer, how little would they care about what people said? Uh, Their daily joy would be to see terminally ill people get out of hospital beds, leave the hospital, and enjoy a full, long, healthy life. If that was you, would you worry about criticism? Paul was energized for ministry. Paul was unconcerned about what other people thought about him. He was unconcerned about human opinions because the gospel is too wonderful. The gospel is too compelling to disregard, especially for the sake of pride. And then second, we should not be ashamed of the gospel because it is for it, in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Verse 17, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous or the just shall live by faith. The gospel reveals a righteousness that is by faith. In the Old Testament, righteousness was by works. That's the way you gained right standing with God. But sinners soon discovered they could not obey the law of God. Uh, Paul quotes Habakkuk chapter 2. Here that the just shall live by faith. And that verse, Habakkuk 2.4, is quoted three times in the New Testament. It's quoted here in Galatians 3 and in Hebrews chapter 10. So what this is about, this righteousness, we need to understand two things. The first, they're both on your outline. First one is sin. Sin is rebellion against the very nature of God. And God's nature is completely good. And then righteousness is right relationship or right standing with God, with the one who alone can judge good from evil. So when Christ bore our punishment on the cross, he satisfied all of the requirements for justice. That makes us righteous before God. So you know, some of you will know my favorite verse is 2 Corinthians 5.21 because I think it gives the gospel so clearly. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Jesus, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. So how do we have the righteousness of God? Because of the death of Christ. There's like this exchange. He takes our sin and we get his righteousness. What a deal. That's unbelievable. We take Christ's right. So when God sees you 
If you love Jesus, if, if you've received the gift of, of, of eternal life in your, through Jesus, but as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. So if you've received Christ and Christ is looking at you, he sees Jesus first. You get Jesus' righteousness when you're standing in him by faith. That's amazing. And so that's the, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice on the cross. It's he that makes us righteous before God. And, 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 and he has this righteous character. It, it, his doesn't change. But he takes our sin. And so anyone who receives that gift by faith has a restored relationship with the creator. And so in light of Paul's spotlighting the gospel, uh, we need to ask ourselves, so what? So what do we do with this? Well, there's three things that we can do. It's got them on your alley. Number one, you accept the gospel. That's the first step. In other words, the good news is an invitation. We receive that invitation. We accept it. We accept by faith the good news that Christ died for our sins, that he became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Uh, and then, this, the, uh, once we do that, we, we understand it's a gift, it's not a reward. We can't earn it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. Secondly, we live it. We live it out. You live the gospel. Anyone who genuinely comprehends what God's gift of eternal life is all about will not be able to remain quiet about it. It's like Joe, that Coast Guard guy who became a Christian. He couldn't wait to tell other people, to bring other people uh, to Park Street so they could hear the gospel. He couldn't wait to tell them the gospel. Their priorities and the passions of, uh, of people who love Jesus are going to be to run after him because he's pursuing us. We want to we pursue him. And so we begin to praise God and we thank him for what he's done. We live in thankfulness and worship to obey him. And we have our hope set on, on his return. And so accepting the gospel means living the gospel. And then finally, you share it. You share the gospel. Like Paul, we accepted this free gift of eternal life and we've had this, it shapes our lives. It shapes our, the way we live every day of our lives. And when, when that happens, we have an obligation, a debt. Remember, the debt goes both ways. We receive the debt, we're in debt to the Lord and we're in debt to the people that need to hear about Jesus. And so, that's how, and, and increasingly unbelieving world that we live in, we have to anticipate that some of the responses will be what Paul got. They won't be full of joy. Uh, we, we may experience some rejection or some persecution, but it's worth it. You know, the litmus test of whether or not you understand the gospel is what you do when you fail. And we all fail. Do you run from God and then try to clean yourself up a bit and then come back into the throne room of God? Or do you approach the throne of grace with confidence? If you don't approach the throne of grace with confidence, you don't understand the gospel. You are most offensive to God when you come to him with all your efforts when you're still trying to earn what he freely gives you. 
You know, when Martin Luther was trying to understand who God was for a long time, he believed that the righteousness of God was a condemning righteousness. And it led him to depression. He thought that God was always, always down on him and condemning him. And this drove him to despair. But it was little by little that he began to understand that God gives us his own righteousness to make us right with God through faith. And that turned Luther's life upside down. That's what started, that's what started the Reformation. And it was all because of what he read in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. That the righteous will live by faith. The just will live by faith. And it was later that Martin Luther wrote so much about the doctrine of justification by faith, which he learned from this verse. And he would call it, and you've got these quotes on your outline, the chief article from which all other doctrines have flowed. That's God's righteousness. God's righteousness is the master and the prince and the lord and the ruler and the judge over all kinds of doctrines. He said if the article of justification is lost, all Christian doctrine is lost at the same time. And Luther argued it alone begets, it produces, in other words, nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church of God. And without it, the church of God cannot exist for one hour or one minute or one second without the righteousness of God. So let me just say to you, if you are chasing sticks, refocus your priorities and make God's priorities your priorities. Make the Apostle Paul's priorities your priorities. If you're chasing sticks, you know what you'll be remembered for? Chasing sticks. If you want to be remembered for remembering the most important things, then remember the most important things. Invest your lives in what's eternal. What is eternal? The word of God is eternal. People are eternal. Heaven or hell, people are going to live forever. It's all a matter of faith. At the end, it's simple. It's like Joe to be righteous before God, to have Christ in your life, is to have freedom from sin. Paul was motivated to share the gospel because of the righteousness of God. And that's our motivation. We we should have that same motivation because of the righteousness of God to not be ashamed. It's a lot to think about from God's word. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for this full explanation of the gospel that we have in Romans. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, help us to live thankful lives, to be people of of prayer. Help us to love the people around us, those we know, those we don't know, and be motivated to share the good news of Jesus with them. Help us to live out the gospel. And that our words, uh, the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable to you, O Lord, because we're focused on the gospel and on Jesus. And if there's anyone that happens to be here this morning who doesn't know you, Lord, I believe that they're here because you're drawing them to yourself. And would they respond right now in faith?
We love you, Father, and we commit, I commit everyone here to you. We commit ourselves to you. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is from the end of Romans. Now to him who is able to strengthen you in the faith, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Amen. So be it. God bless you. Have a great day.